When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something Wow. It seems we're not alone. <laughs> Normally, Susie Dent and I, I'm Giles Brandreth, we meet in Susie Dent's kitchen or in her sitting room at her home in Oxford. And we get together and we talk about words and language. But we thought last year, when we had hit a million downloads, that we should meet, yeah, yeah, we should meet some of the people who made that possible. Yeah. And so we've come to Islington in North London to show how right on we are. <laughs> we've come to... This wonderful assembly hall here, and we've got hundreds of purple people here. Uh, yeah, and they're lovely. And indeed, uh, before coming up onto the stage, I met a couple who came from the city of Chester, where, where I you? used to be the yeah. member of parliament. So I'm here to apologize to them in person. Did you know that? Um uh, one quotation from Giles in the Oxford Dictionary of the Humorous Quotations is him saying, happiness is the constituency in the rearview mirror. <laughs> Remember that? Well, the truth is, by the time I lost my seat, it was my <laughs> second election, by then, of course, I, I knew that I had contempt for my constituents, but... Um, <laughs> It came as a bit of a shock to the system to find the feeling was entirely mutual. <laughs> anyway, here we are. Here I'm we Giles Brandreth. My friend is Susie Dent. We talk about words and language, and this is only our second live podcast. And I thought we should begin today by talking about how we greet one another, because we're, we're greeting you by saying hello. But I came across a survey. It's about two years old. But the survey showed the phrases that people use when they greet one another in English in the United Kingdom. And these are the, the top five phrases. Hi, hello, how are you? Good to meet you. And how do you do? Mm -hmm. That's the, those are the, the, the first, uh, the ones that are most popular. So, hi, hello, how are you? Good to meet you. And how do you do? What was intriguing is I went down the list and I discovered that the 29th greeting is to say, piss off. <laughs> I believe that's called a reverse jocularity because it's meant in a friendly way, ah, piss off, when you're saying hello to people. Um, did you know that? Not. Never have I heard anyone now, say that. Now, we're here on words and language. Tell me about the origin of hello. What's, 
Where does hello come from? Is it a version of hail ye or where does the word hello come from? There have been so many different versions of hello throughout the centuries. Um, hello, hello, hello. I mean, any spelling you would care to mention. And I think it probably is onomatopoeic. It was used as a hunting cry. Um, it's not particularly an abbreviation of anything like goodbye. Goodbye began as God be with ye. And that was that was shortened to um, goodbye, simply, simple as that. But hello doesn't quite work in the same way. So it's funny because I assumed hello was hail ye, but it's not. No. It's hello, hello yes. there. Okay, who's new woman? God, let's let's get you into your accents. Um, but yes. <laughs> no, actually, we get lots of letters admiring your accents. <laughs> we, we had one once. <laughs> And it was very um, sweet of my sister to write in. <laughs> but greetings are really odd because some of the ones that you think of as being really ancient are modern and vice versa. So do you remember in the 80s, people used to say, watcher? Remember that? Uh, yeah. That began as what cheer in the 17th century. And cheer was a sort of slang term for your face. So what cheer was, how is your face? How is your mood? What is your countenance? And eventually that became what cheer and then watcher, believe it or Goodness. not. Um, and howdy, howdy is how do you do? How do you do? Oh, as in the cowboys, how do you do that? Yeah, but that goes back to how do you do? So, or how do you fare? You know, centuries ago. How do you do? That's a how funny do do? thing to say to people. How do you do? <laughs> I mean, how do you do what? How are you doing? I mean, how, how do you do? It's a silly way to say that to people, isn't it? How yes. do you do? Ciao, which is maybe a little bit pretentious to say ciao, ciao bella, whatever, comes from an Italian dialect and schiavo, meaning I am your slave. What? I am your slave. I am your slave? Yes. Ciao. Ciao. Oh, so that really is quite a... They're going to use that a lot now, right? Ciao. Very good. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Salut, as in salut les copains. That means that salutations, greetings. Yes. All those those are fairly obvious things, like greetings are greetings. Dear, when you say hello to somebody, you begin a letter, dear. Mm Mm-hmm. Term of endearment? What does dear mean? Where it's does it come from? Simply something that's been with us since the Anglo Saxons and darling is a deerling or it's a little deer. Um oh, so you when mean you call someone a darling. Bambi. No, no, no. Deer as in somebody who you cherish. Not as in Bambi, sadly. Deer, as in Bambi, used to mean all animals, just as meat used to mean all food, because there was not much need to differentiate in those days. So when we talk about um, one man's meat is another man's poison, that meat there means food, not meat. And eventually we began to distinguish. So for quite a long time, I'm going way off course here, but vegetables were called green meat. Because when they began to distinguish, it was green meat and uh, animal meat was flesh meat and so on. No, I just thought I'd throw that in. No, it's good, no. Uh, People who have not listened to me this year may wonder about these silences. It's because my (laughs) wife has told me not to interrupt. And my wife has also told me, in fact, you were mentioning the Queen the other day. Um, uh, My wife did... Not to name drop. (laughs) (laughs) Which you were about to do, weren't you? Uh, my wife did say to me once, at some rather grand do, Giles, I think you should stop calling the Queen darling. I, I don't think she's liking it. And um, she then added, and I don't think the Archbishop of Canterbury is very amused either. <laughs> True story. Uh, Susie, give us some more terms of endearment. 
Uh, well, they'll give you some historical ones because um, Valentine's cards, had they existed um, in the Middle Ages or whatever, would have been really odd. So you might have found things like, be my bag pudding. Um, <laughs> so bag pudding was somehow used with affection, even though it genuinely was a pudding boiled in a bag. Um, this is from a, a medieval Valentine's card. No, it's not. It's from... Uh, something which sounds like the dullest read in the world, but I promise you is amazing, and it's called The Historical Thesaurus of English. So you look at, can look up anything. You can look up penis, which we will be getting to later, um, and you will find historical synonyms throughout the ages for the penis. Or you can look up sweetheart, which I did, and find these. Bully was originally a term of endearment. You know, bully bottom in Shakespeare. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. Why is it a term so of endearment? it was a fine fellow amongst friends. And then I think it came to mean eventually a sort of blustering bra- braggart, really. Like, like a bull? No, it's actually from a Dutch bull, meaning deer, again, sort of a, a, an object of affection. But that's how bully started off. Suck it, maybe not go there. Cabbage. No, no, please go there. <laughs> Suck well, it. It's not suck it, it's suck it. Suck it. And, no, no, um, it follows it, the sweet know, theme, like honey. Um, like a Suzette, like a little or sweet. sweetheart. Yeah, like a little lollipop, yes. Cabbage. This one, this one record of this from 1722, which goes, Ha, my little cabbage sprout, one sweet kiss to make it up and I'll be gone. Yes, Giles. I know I promise not to name drop anymore. <laughs> Some years ago, I had the. I was writing a book about the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh, and I had privileged access to walk with them, talk with them as about they went about their official duties. And I was at the Royal Variety performance, sitting in the Royal Box next to the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh. And the Duke of Edinburgh saw the word finale on the program. His spirit soared, and <laughs> the finale turned out to be an excerpt from the Full Monty. And the point of the story is he turned to the Queen and said, oh, look, cabbage. Uh, he calls her cabbage. <laughs> the Duke of Edinburgh calls the Queen cabbage. And he said, you see what the finale is, the full Monty. He was quite excited, bless his heart. He, he assumed the full Monty was going to be a tribute to the field marshal in the Battle of El Alamein. <laughs> but the point of the story is, I know, because I've heard it, the Duke of Edinburgh calls the Queen cabbage. That's sweet. Well, there you go. Yeah. It's not so dissimilar to pumpkin, which... I might call my kids pumpkin. I think pumpkin's quite sweet. That's quite sweet. Uh, pig's eye. You could call your cherished girlfriend pig's knee or pig's eye. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a real come on. Uh, um, Nigel and I are going to try that. Uh, <laughs> if you're new to this podcast, Nigel is a member of our audience today. He comes from, <laughs> he comes from Clapham. He's pleased to be here. Uh, and uh, he and I have got a few things in common. Uh, so you can call your sweetheart pig's eye um ding ding as well way before leslie phillips ding dong that was in the 1500s and a creep mouse which was another term for an old bat so you might call a flitter mouse is a nice one you might call somebody a, a creep mouse so really really odd ones i love them I think they're really, they're sweet. You're going to take some of these. I'm, and I'm, then well, you've got rosebuds and honeysuckle and, and all the sort of duckling and dove and ladybird and all those kind of creatures, which is quite pretty. There's, I've heard somebody call somebody makushla. A makushla is beautiful. What does that mean? It's though? from the Irish for heartbeat. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's that gorgeous. You are my makushla. Yeah. I love that. But be my bag pudding. <laughs> I don't know. Be my bag pudding. Be my pig's eye. 
Oh, be my bollocks. Because bollocks is a term of endearment, wasn't it? Well, bollocks has got quite an interesting past. So you mentioned avocado. You know that avocado is from the Aztec for testicles. I do know that. Yeah, because it's a shape. Bollocks. Well, bollocks, if there are any keen gardeners here, they'll know that bollocks pop up everywhere in um, terms of um, orchids. Orchids, another word, goes back to the Greek for testicles. I mean, honestly, it's everywhere. But um, ballockwort, fool's ballock. Um, these were all types of orchid. And because orchids are beautiful, I think possibly that informed the use of going down the pub with your sweet bollocks. Um, a term of endearment for your friends. But actually, it was usually your male friends. So any blokes here might go down to the pub with their, their dear bollocks for a pint or two. Um, so, yeah, strange, isn't it? We want... Do you know what I want you to do, since you're here? You can make a commitment to this. When you're driving along tomorrow, would you lower the window of your car <laughs> and call out to the person in the next car, you bag pudding, you, and see how it goes. Bollocks to you, sir. Oh, I love it. Do you remember me telling you when it comes to bollocks that... Because uh, we did a whole episode on swearing, didn't we? And I think I said, bollocks is my favourite word. Um, swear word I think use of swearing to relieve stress is lalochesia and I think when I'm really really angry but I can't get too angry in front of other people I will say bollocks because it's just something really satisfying but one of the reasons I love it do you remember this is that in 2000 the BBC compiled a list of swear words in order of severity and bollocks was kind of medium mid-table but the reason I loved it is because they put it in this just supremely accurate anatomically speaking position of above prick no under prick and above asshole (laughs) (laughs) which i thought was brilliant (laughs) i was gonna say before we have a break uh since we've got these lovely people here we've asked them for questions we have have you got one before we, we take our break well one that just is have you noticed that it's apparently wine stains on this uh, so this is this is a disgrace, frankly. This is from Peter, who I don't know what you've been doing this with this Peter, but it's actually quite appropriate. Your question: What is he's your favourite? Peter the piss. <laughs> um, no, he's not actually. Um, <laughs> what is his surname? Stafford Bow. Oh. And he's from Kensal Green, which he calls Paradise. And he asks me, "What is my favourite wine-related word?" Well, we've been talking about testicles etc i think favorite wine relating word two of them actually one is to be pifflicated which is to be drunk and talk piffle and you could put that a different way to testiculate is particularly when drunk wave your hands around and talk bollocks ah no, that's quite like brilliant that those are my favorite ones <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Now, Jaws, are you a theist? A theist? Mm, habitual tea drinker. 
Oh, I am. I drink oh. nothing but tea. Tea and water. You know I don't drink alcohol. I gave up coffee because of the acid reflux. So I now want tea. And I have to have it made in a particular way, as you know. In the tea bag in boiling water on top, a touch of milk, and the bag stays in the mug. Yes, I have noticed. Bag always in, and you only drink half a cup. I do. Unless that's my tea. I usually drink the top half. Okay, you're so fussy. Well, I can add another caveat to your order now. Milk, no sugar, tea bag in, half only drunk. But it can also now be served in your very own Something Rhymes with Purple mug. Yay, they have arrived! They have. They're beautiful, genuinely beautiful. Um, Perfect, we hope, for those of you who like to listen to the podcast, Curled Up with a Brew, and a really good gift, again, we hope, for any word nerds in your life. Indeed, or for anyone in your life. Actually, they are they are beautiful. They're handsome. Lovely, deep, deep purple in colour. And they've got our logo on the front in a very classy font, I must say. And hold on. Oh, on the inside, the word gongoozle. Well, that's amusing. As you lift it to your lips, the word gongoozle appears. <laughs> Remind me, what does that mean? Uh, well, the answer lies at the bottom of the mug, Giles. You have to drink your tea, remove your tea bag, etc. Drink to the very bottom and you'll find out. I love it. You drink down and the word's definition is revealed. Sorry. Oh, oh, it's hot. Dear, dear, dear. I want to get one to give to my long suffering wife. She wonders why I've moved in with you. I say it's a podcast. She's that's a funny euphemism. <laughs> um, uh, well, how do I get her one of these? Okay, the mugs are available now from purple.backstreetmerch or one word.com. Purple.backstreetmerch.com. Okay, and uh, not to be crude, how much are we talking? £15. I do. Purple.backstreetmerch.com, £15. Right, now, what does gongoozle mean? This is the Something Rhymes with Purple podcast. I'm Giles Brandreth. With me is my friend Susie Dent. We're talking about words, language, as we always do. We're getting a little bit blue in this part because we've been talking about terms of endearment, and I have long wanted to ask about the origin of the word willy. Where's willy? A phrase often heard in our household, unfortunately. Um, Where's willy? Willy, as a term of endearment or a nickname for the penis, what is the origin of that? Um, well, strangely, we, decide, we decided quite a few centuries ago to, to choose generic names to riff upon for all sorts of things. So Jack, famously, Jack of all trades, lumberjack, steeplejack, etc. Robin, likewise, for the bird. Also, hobgoblin, the hob is a nickname for Robin, and so on and so on. And Willy, for some strange reason, was just chosen, a bit like Johnson... Um, for the penis. John Thomas, isn't it, as well? John Thomas, um, I do remember, because uh, when I was a child in 1960, I was quite a little boy, a Lady Chatterley's Lover, a uh, novel by D.H. Lawrence, ooh. which had been banned in this country, was published by Penguin Books. Did you buy a copy and straight away? I, I, I was at a boarding school, and I sent off for a copy. <laughs> and it arrived in a brown wrapper, but unfortunately, on the wrapper, it said Penguin Books. And so the the housemaster uh, I'm really opened it first. I'm where this is going with John. No, Thomas no, no. He he, okay. he read it and then gave it to me. And I. <laughs> that's when I first discovered the word John Thomas, and it took me a long while to work out 
what it was all about. So that's when I first discovered John Thomas. Give me some more. Give me the ones you know. Well, this is where I mentioned the historical thesaurus. It's absolutely brilliant because you put in, as I say, penis or whatever, and you get all these things. This is what I'd spend my time doing. And coming up on the train, I had this open, which is full of slang terms for testicles and the penis. Um, So here are some of them. Twiddle diddles, nerds, jelly bags, Aunt Polly's, Tallywags, Swingers, Ghoulies, everyone knows that, Cream Crackers, Whirly Gigs, Gingmabobs. Who? Gingmabobs. Don't rush it. Some people are trying to write this list down. <laughs> <laughs> Only Nigel. Uh, ni- <laughs> um, okay, so for penises, I mean, I don't know where to start because there are so many. Mr. Peasby. <laughs> I was going to say spit it out, but say it carefully, because we don't want to miss any of this. Let's reddish it, since we're doing it. What Um, was it? Mr. Peasby. (laughs) It's just so bizarre. It's interesting. You had a couple of middle-aged people giggling like schoolchildren. The silent flute. What? The silent truth or the silent fruit? (laughs) The silent flute. 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 Oh, the silent flute. Oh, yes, that's famous. Play me, because that occurs in Shakespeare. Hamlet says, play me on your piccolo. I will, yes, no, he does. Um, No, this is, uh, no, this is, uh, I mean, some of you know that many years ago when I was young, I I played Hamlet not successfully. Um, (laughs) The audience didn't like it. Uh, No, no, word got out. They came prepared. Yeah, they threw, no, they threw eggs at me, truly. Went on as Hamlet, came off as omelette. Uh, but more seriously, a couple of years ago, I took part in a proper production of Hamlet, not far from here in Finsbury Park at the Bar Theatre. My son played Hamlet. We had a marvellous director called Simon Evans and David Orler. They were the directors. And when we got to this, it's a speech that Hamlet makes, play, makes to Ophelia. And he's sort of taunting her. And there is definitely a pun about playing on my piccolo. So that's an oh, old there one. There you go. Yep. These are really baffling, these ones. Um, enchilada. Um, uh, show me your enchilada. Shaft oh, of delight. Do you call that an enchilada? Sorry. I'm just <laughs> trying to get them into sort of current usage. Um, candy cane. Oh, there's another one for the testicles here. As good as ever twanged. That's, I was going to say that's a bit of a mouthful. But maybe not. I know it. Yes. Keep going. Uh, Okay, the judge, uh, the big chief, <laughs> his lordship, the commissioner, etc. The Hulk. The Hulk. <laughs> Cyclops. <laughs> um, uh, so you've got a long list. Pecker, schmuck, schlong, todger, wick. And of course, as well as these words that have been used over the years, people do create their own words, either for their own private parts or for the private parts of friends, neighbours, husbands, partners. <laughs> so this is the moment for you, whenever you're listening to this, to mouth to yourself the name of the closest penis that you know of and the little nickname you don't normally say out loud. This is an Equal Opportunities podcast. Give us some of the uh, nicknames, slang words for the female private parts. Okay. Um, well, these again throughout history. Um, Fountain of Love. Um, Cupid's Warehouse. Um, uh, Love's Cabinet. 
These are all the sentimental ones. Garden of Delight. Then there's some really derogatory ones, which I'm not going to go there. Um, well, this is sort of slightly clever ones, depending on where you stand on this one. Cockpit is in there. Um, yes. Then there's some very strange ones. The Bat Cave, the Duck Pond. Um, this is from Spencer's Fairy Queen, The Bower of Bliss. The Bower of Bliss. Mm. And then the ones where you just think, huh? There's um, Mrs. Fubb's Parlour. Um <laughs> And Buckinger's boot. Good. (laughs) The list I've been given includes Minnie, Muff, Fanny, Doodah, and one from my youth, Front Bottom. Oh, yes. Yes, Fanny's another strange one, because Fanny then was just chosen as a random name. Um, And Pussy is quite interesting as well, because Pussy was also a term of endearment. And can you believe we're having this conversation with? Um, but it's also got that kind of slightly spiteful. I mean, basically, words in English describing women tend to start off quite innocently and then go downhill, so that they they come to denote women who are promiscuous above all, or just objects of male desire. So it's all pretty depressing. So hussy actually started off as a housewife, a housewife. The housewife bit went one way, the housewife, and the hoose, the hussy went another. So those housewives who were, you know, after a bit of fun uh, were called hussies. And so, so many times you find that the first harlots were, um, were men, but then it was transferred over to women because women were usually the uh, promiscuous ones, etc. So they've always got this edge and it's quite depressing, I have to say, as a lexicographer to see that, you know, that sting Okay, conclude this section by telling us the origin of the word vagina, since we brought that up. What is the origin of that word? Oh, it comes from a word meaning sheath. Uh, So it was originally a scabbard or a sheath, and it's a sibling of vanilla, because the vanilla pod is kind of slightly vagina-shaped, and so the vanilla also means a sheath. So when you eat a vanilla pod, you're eating a little sheath, or a vanilla ice cream, or describe someone as vanilla, you're actually referring to vaginas. There you are. The the joy of this podcast is you feel that you live and learn. Then, of course, you die and forget it all. Uh, We've got lots of questions from people here. Share some of those questions. and Tell us who's asked them and what they've asked. We do. And if there is anyone in the room called John Thomas, this is the moment we want to hear from you (laughs) to discover how your life has been. Um, Okay. So this is from Doug Glynn, who's from Canada. But 15 plus years in London. Hello, Doug. You asked, you said, we've discussed American English in the past. Have we come across any compelling examples of Canadian English? A is the one I always think of. Well, I just, I quite like the fact that Canadian English is sometimes uses words that I now associate with slightly old fashioned English, but that I love like knapsack. You still talk about knapsacks? Do you remember knapsacks? I used to take a knapsack to school. Now they're just backpacks, aren't they? But knapsack I really like. Does our Canadian friend know any Canadian words? What words are exclusively Canadian? Um, I don't know if they're exclusively Canadian, but if I think about my time in Canada growing up, toque is a word that is very familiar to me. It describes a a knit hat. Oh, yes. Tight-fitting hat you'd wear in the winter. That's T-U-Q-U-E, isn't it? T-O-Q-U-E. T-O-Q-U-E, yeah. There's two spellings, actually. 
Um, another one politically, uh, riding is a word used to refer to constituencies quite commonly. All oh, right, so we have that in um, in Yorkshire as well, the ridings of Yorkshire. Yep. And that comes from when the constituency was split into three, so it's tri-thing, uh, so three parts, and then tri-thing became mangled to riding over time, but it was just meant the third part. And uh, the other Canadians in the room might recognise, especially if you grew up in Ontario, um, buying beer in certain quantities, you'd, you'd order a two, two four, four, two four, twenty four bottles of beer. Yeah, a toque. I seem to remember was a hat worn by Queen Mary. Oh, really? A toque. Did you say toque? Toque. Yeah. We say toque. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but don't don't worry. Harry listens motto. to this and is learning a lot. Um, <laughs> It's going, to, it's going to be good for the future. I, it's fine. I, I see, um, yeah, I guess unsurprisingly, I see Canadian English as being more, more British than American English. But as we said on the podcast, I love American English. I think it's beautiful, but also, you know, so much of it started over here anyway. Um, thank you for that, Doug. And I'm sorry, you told us more than we told you on that one. Um, Ed? Is it Ed Uda? Have I pronounced this correctly? Most people in the UK say Uden, but apparently in Holland oh, in they say Uden. Uden. So, yeah. Okay. You ask, which word or words do we attribute to sparking our interest in lexicography? I do remember learning quite early on the origin of stealing someone's thunder and being amazed that it began as a really literal thing, a bit like Licking Into Shape and Swan Song that we mentioned in the previous podcast. And stealing someone's thunder started in uh, I think it was 1709 and it was the Drury Lane Theatre in London here and uh, there was a playwright manager called John Dennis and to cut a long story short he put on a play that was his own and it wasn't very good and it closed after a short run but he went along to support the next one it was a production of Macbeth and for his show it had very little going for it apart from one thing which was he'd invented a machine that replicated the sound of thunder And when he went along to the next production, he was enjoying it. But then from the stage, he heard booming out the sound of his very own thunder machine. And we have records from people in the audience who said he stood up and said, damn them, they will not let my play run, but they steal my thunder. Mm. And that's where that comes from. And I remember thinking, I can't, you know, that you couldn't really make that up. I love that. Giles, do you remember yours? Yes, I, I, I do remember discovering the word strengths and being completely fascinated that it was the longest word with only one vowel. S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H. It's, it's nine letters long. I can tell why. I see why you love Scrabble. Only one vowel. And I, because I lived in London as a child, to do my revision, I used to go round on the circle line, the tube line. In those days, it was a circle. You'd go round and round and round. And I remember going through Knightsbridge and loving going through Knightsbridge because it's the longest that has consecutive consonants in it. Uh, G-H-T-S-B-R. And that gave me a kind of erotic charge every time I, I went through Knightsbridge. So it's funny things. I think it's, it's the look of words, the fun of words that got me going. Definitely got you going. This is from Paul Stevenson um, in West Sussex, Paul. You say you were asked recently by a colleague how you were coping with a foot injury and you replied by the, saying you were walking gingerly. What is the origin of ginger? Mm. Well, ginger the spice is from Sanskrit, but it's got nothing to do with that. This adverb gingerly goes back to the Latin 
genitus, which meant well-born, which gave us gentle as well as in gentlemen. And that sense went on to be genteel, and gentle went on to mean delicate or dainty. And so when you walk in a gingerly fashion, you are taking slightly mincing, I guess, or delicate and dainty steps. That was the idea for that. Okay, Deborah from Chelmsford. Hi, Deborah. Hello, Deborah. Oh, Deborah's waving. Um, An American lady that you met had heard the word bimble on her travels, and you hadn't even heard it before. Um, Bimble, it means to kind of, it's a bit like obambulate, which we were talking about on our last podcast, which means to wander about. So I think to bimble is to kind of mooch, I think. And it's simply a variant on bumble, which I think is just an onomatopoeic pootling, tootling, all that sort of thing. So I think that's where bimble comes from, but it's a lovely word, bimbling about. They use it in Devon, to bimble. Before you give us the last answer, I must chip yeah. in. Last week, we talked about discombobulate, a word that people yeah. love. And somebody, as I was leaving, said, can you have combobulate without discombobulate? Um, no, you can't, because discombobulated is also kind of invented. It, um, it's a riff on discomforted. But you can be gruntled, kempt, ruse, wieldy, pecunious, and full of gorm. Thank you. Um, Kate Jones from Wandsworth. Why do we call urine wee and feces poo? It's a lovely one on which to end. I think it's simply because they were imitating children's language, like mum and dad, uh, simply um, imitating yes. the babble that comes Because in England we mouth. call it wee wee, but in France they call it pee pee. It's quite confusing, isn't it? And then they have caca. Yeah, so it's all, it's, it's all, they were born for their sound. Okay, let's raise the tone now. Okay. Give us your trio of words for this week. This is Susie's trio, three intriguing words that we may not be familiar with, but we ought to be. Well, I just love the sound of this one, speaking of sounds, and it's a slubber de gullion. A, a what? A slubber de gullion. Slubber de gullion. Basically somebody who's a bit down at heel, a bit scruffy, probably wearing their huffle buffs. Remember the huffle buffs, which are the clothes that you shuffle into on a Friday evening and don't get out of until Monday morning. Um, so slubber de gullion is just basically a slob, but it sounds so much better. Rambunctious, you'll know this one. It's just because I love it. It sounds beautiful. It's fun to spell and it looks great on the page. Boisterous, so children can be rambunctious or difficult to control. I just thought I'd bring that one because I love the sound of that one. And this is an unusual one, but it's one of those ones where you think, yeah, we really did need a word for that. It's a linguistic gap. It's acnestis, A-C-N-E-S-T-I-S. It comes from the Greek for the spine or a cheese grater, depending where you want to go with that one. But it's the part of the back between the shoulder blades and the loins, which you can't reach to scratch. Oh. You have to get someone else to do it for you. Oh, my God. What's it called? What's the word again? Acnestis. Lovely. Those are your three words. Thank you very much for those. My quotation, you mentioned my wife, and I was thinking about these quotations. Uh, uh, my quotation this week is the famous last words of someone, and I was tempted to give you the last words of Dominique Bonour, who was a Jesuit priest and a grammarian. Uh, his famous last words, this is apparently true, uh, were, I am about to, or I am going to, die. Either expression is used and permissible. But I want to give you the true last words of the American film star and actor who was a big star when I was a boy, John Wayne. And I 
read them in a paper years ago, just after he died, and I, I wrote them down. I've always found them rather touching. John Wayne's last words spoken to his wife. Of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. Oh. And that's our lot that's from this edition, this live edition of Something, something Rhymes, Rhymes with, with Purple. Purple. It's a something else production produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Grace Laker, Chris Skinner, Steve Ackerman and Gully. So it's not just thanks to them, but also genuinely thank you to all of you who came out tonight. You have been completely marvellous. That's enough testiculation from me. <laughs> uh, so you have the last word, whatever it is, have the last word. Uh, the last word yeah it could be bollocks Uh, but yes my sweet bollocks thank you so much for coming out tonight I appreciate it